Hey, before we begin, I just want to let you know that this is the second of two episodes with Mark Jacobson, recorded and edited and all that good stuff before the events of January 6th, but pushed back till now because of the events of January 6th. So if you want to start listening here, fine, but you might be better off going back and listening to uh, the previous episode first. Thanks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mel, do you think you're communicating? Some people feel I'm communicating an awful lot. Well, um... A lot of people want to tell me that they're God, too. I get a lot of that. say, well, if you're God, I'm going to be God, too, man. You know, that's, that's all right. I rouse something. At least some, somebody wanted to be part of what I said I was part of, or wanted to be what I said I was. This is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. And boy, do I have a treat for you. We were just hearing clips from a guy named Mel Lyman, who is dead. In 1966, he started the Lyman family. Lyman was a fascinating person and he was really plugged into the kind of communal and uh, utopian movements of the 60s and 70s and you know he's been referred to as a cult leader an acid fascist or a post-acid fascist i think and most famously known for a rolling stone expose written by david felton that kind of went inside this peculiar community as much as as possible and kind of looked at the inner workings of this Part religion, part commune, part acid evangelism outfit. Um, so I've been talking about this a lot and uh, with my friends and posting a lot about it on on Instagram. And I got into a conversation with Mark Jacobson, who is friend of the show, solid good guy, and somebody I really like talking about conspiracies with, and just you know bizarre American fringe subcultures or cultures or whatever. So, um, got Mark on the Skype and we talked about cults and Nexium and a lot of our conversation was about how right now, 2020 is so unhinged and what makes it similar and what makes it different to an era, which a lot of us thought was particularly unhinged, at least people looking back into the history books talking of course about the vietnam era but i think at this point we wished that things were unhinged like they were in 1968 or 1970 well that was 50 years ago and here we are now talking about a whole range of subjects of interest to the failed state community so without any further ado here is reporter rank tour and william cooper's biographer Mark Jacobson. Hello. 
it's so depressing to talk to those people actually because you know you're just hoping that they're going to say something interesting not that same stuff that they always say you know because you know i like listening to that kind of dialogue but it's just sort of um how can you how can you have all those revelations you know, from whoever, and everybody has the same revelation that, like, we hate socialism. That's the thing can come up with. I mean, they're going to just have to try a little harder if they want to do that. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess you really got to beat the pavement if you want to find some actual interesting fringe characters. I don't know. I seem like every time I every time I walk down the street, I see a lot of fringe characters. <laughs> but you know, like, you know, if you want to like seek out the ones that aren't a broken record takes a little work well i mean you know you got it it's like like i think the QAnon thing is pretty interesting really you know as as these modern you know this year's conspiracy theory and you know, we'll crank them out like a bunch of dirty jokes or hit songs that get hot you know um you know i think it's not bad uh i'd give it like you know as 72 it has a little bit of a beat you know <laughs> but uh, you know the thing that's good the thing i think about it really when i do think about it is um which is not that often um it has it has that the reason why it's got might have staying power behind beyond the the um behind their charismatic leader you know the, the death of the leader kind of thing it may have because it's really not a political movement it's a religious movement so you get this kind of thing where it's not really. <laughs> Stop for a second. It's my daughter. Hey, Ray. Yeah. Hey, I'm in the middle of doing something. Can I call you later? Okay, bye. <clears throat> so, would you give me all these thousands of kids? <laughs> but, anyway, so back to my rap here. Um, I think the QAnon thing is kind of like, it's a little like the crisis cult stuff. Mm. You know, that's really kind of like, you know, um, the ghost dance and all that kind of stuff. You go back and you check out Wavoka and these different kinds of crisis cults. The ghost dance uh, is this big deal. Um, it hasn't really been, it's not really as well known as you'd figure it would be in a lot of ways. Um, as as a, when the uh, Paiute Indian, when during the, during the entire movement of the American settling of the so-called West by the civilized world, you know, the uh, people that were living there already were really not that crazy about the whole thing. And, um, and then uh, as it got more and more apparent that their entire lifestyle and everything that they ever believed in or knew was about to be wiped out by like about 40 million John Wayne guys, you know, they were like, you know, in a panic because it's, Talk about an existential threat. I mean, you know, social distancing. <laughs> That's an exist- I mean, this is like they wiped out everybody, you know. It's like a holocaustic situation, you know, or like a genocidal thing. So there was this guy named Wovoka who was a um, – he was a, the shaman of the Paiute Indian group out there, um, Native American group, near the, near the Walker Lake in California which is way out there in a remote area. And he had a dream that um, if everybody, you know, does this same dance, you know, and, and puts those kind of vibrations out into the world, not only will all the white people disappear, 
like in a flash, but all their ancestors will come back and, um, you know, things will be like the Garden of Eden or whatever the Paiute Garden of Eden looks like. So, like, um, so, and this thing was incredible because it went, because it was a crisis cult in the sense that everybody who was of this persuasion, you know, in other words, Native American, um, was very interested in this. And it went, it, you know, considering the communication things, it, that's what Wounded Knee is about. Yeah, Wounded Knee is about that because these guys wanted to do this dance to make all the white people disappear. And then, of course, they just got shot. And that was the end of that. But um, the, the, um, the, the QAnon thing strikes me a little bit like that. I mean, if you look at it from the point of view of, you know, the propaganda of what you're supposed to think, you know, as you're in a panic, you know, because America is not your America anymore and all this kind of stuff. So people that, people that are willing to fall for that kind of thing or, you know, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not putting them down for this to say that, you know. Um, they would, I would think that uh, they might be feeling that their backs are up against the wall and, you know, that's why they do these, those kind of situations are very given to magical thinking, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, you know, everybody on the left trying to reason their way out of magical thinking, it really just kind of shows that two completely different playing fields. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think that's why they, you know, the left, the so-called left, you know, <laughs> people people have people from cities and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. It's basically it's it's the same old thing. It's always been going on. It's the Aryan, the Agarian people, the, the the farmer type guys who live out in the countryside or in a small town. They hate the cities and the cities hate them back. So it's always been like this, and this is just the current incarnation incarnation of this. The thing that's we crazy about it is that like, you know, most of the people that are sounding off about it don't even live in the in the country. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's it. I mean, it's like really, you know, I, I, I find that like QAnon, it's kind of like serves the same purpose as like being pro-life does for, for a conservative person. It gives you something to just completely freak out about beyond all reason without giving it any thought. And um, not that QAnon is, isn't something to consider, but you know, it's... It's really, it really is like I think like a, a, an urban bias or an urban prejudice. I'm sure you're right. When, when I say QAnon, I'm not trying to just flog that little label. I mean, I mean, it's just there's a whole bunch of people that feel that way that are don't necessarily believe in QAnon. Right, right. It's like so you know, I mean, you have to be out of your mind to believe in that. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that actually have that kind of feeling of like, I'm just not going for it. I'm not. I'm not going to believe this. Whatever you tell me, I don't believe it. I'd rather believe this stuff over here. Which, like, why would you believe in you know that? You know, but they don't. They're not. They're they dug their heels in, and I think it's an anti enlightenment thing. And you know, more power to them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I'm not really, no no dog in this fight, man. I mean, you know, duke it out. You know, see who wins. <laughs> I hope you don't follow leftist academic Twitter, but um, sometimes no, no, actually, do you? <laughs> I started getting messages from people on Twitter that I wasn't getting because I wasn't checking it. So I got in the habit. The algorithm sucked me in, 
And I, I find myself every day watching these people argue back and forth. And it's like, you know, is QAnon a cult? Is Trump, the Trump base a cult? Like they keep expanding the enemy outward. Well, the, the cult studies as cult studies and that kind of stuff as an academic profession. Mm hmm is a cult itself <laughs> you know it's really it's ex i mean there was nobody that really studied this stuff seriously until the 60s yeah and then and then even then it was the fodder for rolling you know that's why it was interesting that we were going to talk about that book mm -hmm. it's called mind fuckers it's an interesting <laughs> book i'm sorry to say that but that's the name of the book i mean one of my right so you know so um, Lenny and I, Lenny and I were talking about this book called um, Mindfuckers, which was uh, it's basically uh, it's a it's a it's really a compilation of three Rolling Stones stories about different cult people, and uh, there's there's one about Manson, there's one about uh, this guy Mel Lyman who's interesting, and then the guy the guy I can't remember his name. It's like Victor something. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't read that one, but uh, it, it seemed interesting actually. But the Manson stuff is kind of interesting. About Manson, is like he's the master narrative, you know. Mm -hmm. Manson just sets the tone for this kind of like hippie death cult idea. And the hippie death cult idea is like Manson, so you get you get that kind of thing. And then, but then there are these weird. I'm sure you know this because you did that fabulous series about that guy from the so-called Prophet of Pittsburgh, you know. And um, yeah, man, check it out. Check it out. It's really good. Um, I loved it, man. So, but I mean, the thing about it, a lot of these kind of like you know cult leaders, including the the bigger and more homicidal ones of them, is they're all they're all. Um, They've all got something to do with music. Music is tipped in there all the time. You know, it always comes out of like, you know, I mean, the dumbest version is like they wanted to be rock and roll stars. So instead they became mass murderers, you know, so, but, but, you know, I mean, but almost every single one of these groups um, has had, you know, dash musical longings. Even the guy from Heaven's Gate was a guy who who wanted had had visions of himself as a famous you know concert somebody yeah wasn't you know, he like they, a a music teacher at a high school or something like that I, I think he I think I don't know exactly I can't remember but he'd been around for a long time those guys um, I think they're the same people as uh, what they used to call Bow and Peep but, yeah Bow and Peep I, I think they're the same people so um, I mean they were around in the there's a real interesting book about a Bo Peep idea called M M31. Write it down. It's definitely it's by a guy named. Um, it's got the same name as that comedian Stephen Wright, I think. <laughs> I can't remember the title, but I mean, it's a very good novel about. It's one of the best novels about cults I ever read, actually, because mostly they're just completely. Well, they're over the top. You know, they're just you know they don't know what to do. But the thing is the, the well, what struck you about the Mel Lyman thing? You know, I, I've been just thinking about this stuff a lot because, you know, I'm working on this book about the so-called prophet from Pittsburgh and um, really trying to, like, not come across as one of these, like, really angry anti-cult crusaders. You don't want that, man. No, no. And it's like, it's like, it's not accurate, you know? And Well, it's just sort of like the, the insanity that got them into the cult to begin with is being matched by their hatred of the cult when they're out of it, you know? Yeah. 
So, you know, it's just not a it's not a good witness. I mean, it's a good witness for who they are, mm-hmm. but that factual material, forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you know, so reading like the uh Mindfuckers and um then reading you know, a couple other things that have come about out about the Lyman family over the years that took him and his ideas a little more seriously or, or just didn't run down that true crime anti-cult path. I just find yeah, that there, yeah. there's a lot, you know, I'm, I'm just coming from it from the point of view is how do I, how do I honest, honestly investigate this without, you know, the anti-cult people, it's like, you know, if you get three people in a room that aren't related, then they're probably, you know, should be thrown in jail or, you know, and then like, on the other hand, you talk to uh, sociologists that study what they call new religious movements, which is the other term for cult. And mm-hmm. they, they seem to like not be able to actually call someone like Mel Lyman on his bullshit, you know? So it's like, how do you walk that, walk that line without getting caught up in, the cult versus well, anti-cult language. Well, you got that recent uh, judgment against the guy from that Nexium thing, right? Yeah. He got 129 years. I mean, you know, those he was treated like a criminal, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and there's the cult of Jeffrey Epstein, you know, he, mm-hmm. he seems to be a cult leader of a sort. <laughs> you know, but, you know, but I, you know, I don't know. The cults are interesting because uh, some get more famous than others, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like, I mean, if you had to pick your post acid, the idea is that, like, um, this book is called Mindfuckers, but then when they, when Rolling Stone released it on their own press, they didn't call it Mindfuckers, no. right? They called it post-acid fascism. <laughs> and you could actually see John, Jan Winter, who I work for many times, going like, wake up and fuck her on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> but so he changed it. You know, so, but um, it, so that's basically what it is. And if you read those pieces, I mean, David Felton, mm-hmm. the guy that writes the, um, I guess he wrote the Malayan yep. piece. He, he's, man, you read, you read that and you'll see the kind of... Uh, that was the the standard of prose at that time. Yeah, for like doing this kind of material, because Rolling Stone was like near the top of the heap, and um, and they had these kind of guys that wrote a certain kind of way. The way you can always um, you can like read in New Yorker, and they all seem to write the same way. Right. So, so you know, it was interesting, and it's a good. It's a good. I think it's really pretty good the way he puts it out there. You know, as a as a professional writer, I think he did a great job. Um, but anyhow, so there's Manson, which is I think the um, master narrative. Then there's like the dark presence guys, like Jim Jones and you know the uh-huh. Devil Man, you know, and um, and actually in the Devil Man category, I would put that William Callie, leader of leader of the My Lai Massacre, you know. Yeah. For, for American cult, for American death cults. I mean, how can you leave them out? Uh-huh. You know, you know William Calley, who like you know is responsible for the Milai massacre. You know that you can look it up on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard him described as a cult leader. Well, I mean, the thing is that like I think what a cult leader, what any religious leader has to do, and for any particular time, 
Oh, is that capture somehow all that insanity and thirsting for meaning and whatever it is that goes into the religious experience, the leader has got to be there present at the moment to be able to suck it up and like, you know, then turn it to another level. That's the cult leader, you know. So William Cowley's there. All these American soldiers, they don't want to be in Vietnam. They're running around. They're telling him to kill these people who look just like regular citizens. And then all of a sudden, like, you're going to do it. And William Cowley is telling you to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, he's like kind of between a mass murderer and a cult leader. But I would say that, you know, you could argue you'd lose maybe, but you could argue that he was a cult leader. Yeah. And and do you think that, um, well... Unlike myself, or probably ninety percent of the people that have been on my podcast, you were actually alive in the sixties. Um, yes, it's true. Congratulations! I was a hippie, man. I was a hippie, so like you know, I was actually there. You know, I actually we used to go to see the Jim Queskin drug junk band all the time. Really? Yes, they used to play. They were they were no they were they're from Boston. It's true, but. Um, when they came to New York, they would play a town hall, which was like sort of like you know one of the top venues. Mm-hmm. And and what you wanted to do was really get close to the stage so you could look up Maria Moldar's dress because <laughs> she was hot stuff, man. Believe me, it's like, you know, she had and then she had a hit song. You know, Midnight at the Oasis. That was a hit song for her. <laughs> you know, and she was like gonna. She was. It seemed like she was going to become a pop star, but it didn't really work out so well. Oh. But um, oh yeah, but the Jim Quest and Jug Band used to see him. I mean, they were contemporaries with that. But it's kind of it's kind of fun. That's why it's interesting to. Um, I mean, even though I'm doing all the talking here, which is terrible, <laughs> um, I'm, I'd be more and more interested to find out what. You know, like for instance, did you? Um, I mean, Lyman, a guy like Lyman. Hit uh, actually, it would be more interesting. I'd like to know, like, how do, what is your what is your basic feeling about Manson? How does Manson hit the? You're how old are you? I am forty five. So I've already asked this question a million times. Yeah. But um, you know, like, I mean, there's generational hits on these guys. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, on these people, these these kind of like you know, people that jump right out of the headlines. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. You know, I so many people I talk to in my generational cohort who, who who think that Manson got a raw deal, that he was, you know, that he basically he was innocent, um, which, you know, we know that he didn't commit any of the actual murders. But it's a bit of a leap to go from there to say he didn't, you know, he should have been free all those years and he didn't do anything. And, um, yeah, I just don't know that, like the legal system is where you turn to for like nuanced description, <laughs> you know? No, that is true. Well, I mean, they got to charge him with something. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the he whole lived a really long time, you know, yeah, in jail, which is, you know, yeah, not the best, you know, well, healthiest I mean, environment. But he was the kind of guy who jail was his natural habitat. <laughs> that is true. I mean, he was probably just fine with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, did you see the uh, the Tim Leary, the biographer, the, uh, it was a... Uh, I'm desperate to see it, but I couldn't, on my server, you can't get it. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't get it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's great, because it, it's, there isn't a ton of, what's it called, my psychedelic love story, so it's a, 
in one long, you know, Errol Morris does one long interview with uh, Joanna yeah. Harcourt Smith, and um, and it's interesting because like a lot of her, a lot of the facts, I think all the details really I've read or known about, but it was great because it put like a human face, you know, instead of being like the evil banshee woman who led Tim astray, which, you know, she, everybody accused her of being. I don't think anybody can lead Timothy Leary astray. Oh, I know. Well, and, like unlikely. <laughs> but, but yeah, it pain, you know, it gave her a real human face, which I thought was nice, but what it kind of danced around, but not really, but when where it crosses over into this conversation is the whole, you know, Apparently, Leary like gave her acid every day as soon as he met her, and was like, you know, telling her that you know, you know, we were meant to be together. You were meant to free me from jail and all this stuff. And you know, is that what she said? She that's, said that. She's, that's her story. Yeah, that's her story. And um, she didn't put it in quite those words, but yeah, I think factually that's what happened. Which. I was reading this Jim Questkin thing, and it sounded exactly like what he was doing to his followers. And I mean, how much of that was going on in the '60s, anyways? You know, that was that was another one of those things. I mean, it was a very strange thing with this very powerful drug. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I don't know what I, I don't really know what ecstasy is like, you know, that well. I mean, but when you take acid. It just takes over your existence for like twelve, at least the kind of acid they were making at that time. Just mm -hmm. you can read a million books about it. It's very, it's completely fascinating because that was the first time that people began to realize, like another one of those Errol Morris documentaries that mm -hmm. one about worm. Yeah, I mean there was that. There was that. I mean the idea it 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 comes out. You got LSD comes in kind of right after the atom bomb. You know. It's sort of like this idea of the atom bomb, which is like means that now mankind has the their the ability to destroy everybody and like you know the doomsday mm -hmm. machine and that kind of shit like yeah. Doctor Strange. Look, I mean, um, so you got that. That's how you grow up, and then when you get to be a certain age, you can take LSD, which is going to explode your brain, and then you get out of you get out of this body, you know, and go into some other phase or something like that. So once you're don't have any groundings. I mean, I would assume there's any number of people that would be like susceptible to a strong so-called leader, you know, right, of the right. groups. But um, you know, acid is something it was it was taken a lot. It really was taken a lot, even by people that you wouldn't think would get stoned. It was it was considered to be a cultural imperative rather than just something for club kids, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, just hearing you explain it or describe it, it really. I think that it can't be underestimated what a radical difference the 60s generation would be, you know, with so many people doing so much acid as opposed to what came before and what came after. Well, wasn't any acid before that. I mean, exactly. I well, that's what I'm saying. Like the generation be before that wasn't <laughs> blowing its mind, you know, and afterwards the stuff that we got wasn't, wasn't very well, mind expanding. I don't know. I mean, you've taken a lot more chemicals than we ever did. So, I mean, if you're just a normal person. Yeah. So, like, uh, the thing is that the thing about the acid thing was, like, it was really considered to be, like, this ersatz religious experience. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be, like, you're going to throw off the old, 
all those times you went to church and you know they made you do this or you went to Hebrew school and you had to read all these letters that were going in the wrong direction and stuff like that. So like um, you know, and now here was this thing like here was the modern re- the modern religion and you know it was just. I mean, it sounds incredibly stupid at the moment, but uh, you know, tune in, drop out, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, people kind of basically believed that. I mean, a lot of people believed it. And, you know, and it was like, and that's really kind of, it freaked out the business community, believe me. Yeah. You think they're mad now? <laughs> they were really, there was all this fear that these fucking hairy people were actually going to, well, you know, nobody ever believed this, but that's what they sold on the on the media. These people are going to take over the world, mm-hmm. like the Black Lives Matter is suddenly going to be take over the White House or something like that. You know, it's just part of this mantra that these guys have. But um, anyhow, I do I do think that well, to get back to the regular cult thing, I mean, so what, what's your vibe off a of a guy like David Koresh? You know, all of these like really. You know, David Koresh, Jim Jones, all these groups that bow and peep that, you know, go for this extreme ending. Um, You know, there's a series of steps that get them there. Not that they're making steps on purpose or anybody's pushing them in that direction. But it's like, you know, before the People's Temple moved to uh, Guyana, they were going all over the place in the United States and in the Caribbean looking for places. And yeah, um, they weed California, I think, which is oh, Ukiah. That's where they Ukiah. Were. Yeah. They call them the, the Messiah from Ukiah. But, uh, yeah. you well, know, that was such a big deal. Yeah. You know, they, they went to, to, they almost moved to Grenada. Actually, they looked at like the building that was the school where all the American, um, medical students were living or whatever when we invaded in 80 in the 80s oh yeah reagan invaded or something like that yeah he like you know so that was a good one (laughs) oh yeah my my the first war i was familiar with the brave battle starting starting off strong there (laughs) one But, you know, if if the People's Temple had moved there, they would have been on the beach. They'd have been surrounded by other people. They wouldn't have got isolated. They probably wouldn't have ended the way that they did, you know. It's, um, I think, I think there's any number of maniacs, and if, whether or not they actually get so far as to kill themselves and each other, you know, just depends on a number of, number of, uh, you know, steps have to happen, and, you know, I wonder about writing this cult and like writing about this cult and like pushing them further, isolating them further. You know, that seems like how, a how big a deal danger. are you in our lives now? What's that? Um, a lot of times, um, you know, because you're writing about them, mm-hmm. you become part of the story, right? Right, right. Because, because, and also from their point of view. Mm-hmm. So, how do you how do you think they feel about you? Oh, oh, they, oh, I, I have my little spies. Yeah, they, they're. That guy is doing the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're out to, out to get me. They, uh, not out to get me, but they've got their eyes on me. Like, I think if, if I had any money in the bank whatsoever, they'd probably, like, try to sue me or something, but there's absolutely, there's no, there's no upside for them at this point. No upside. Yeah, all my, all my, my entire life of, like, 
terrible financial decisions is finally paying off. <laughs> well, that's the that's the that's the lone shining light, silver of the of the of the destitute writer. <laughs> well, at least they can't sue me because I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, yeah. So I mean, we're you mentioned crisis cults like in the sixties with the 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 sixties and seventies cults of you know Lyman. Manson was that something else, something different than a crisis cult, or? Oh yeah, totally. This was this was um, these were all rich people. (laughs) Yeah. So like you know, almost all of them. You know, um, so it was it was a cultural phenomenon thing, like almost like um, you know, if you believed in astrology, you know, you might be able to figure it out. But the thing is that uh, it, it it was like once once. Everybody was ready to party. You had all these teenagers around. You know, the, the baby boom is called boom for a reason. There was a lot of people around. And everybody wanted to get laid, but it was not really, the, you know, the, the, the casualness of sexual relations had not disappeared. I mean, mm-hmm. it was parents in, in a lot of ways for that. So, like, you know, that was very uptight. Which led to a lot of like you know um, unhippie like activity. <laughs> it, was like, it was one of the most male chauvinist societies if you'd ever imagine. <laughs> it's almost like they made it up to make sure all the guys were in charge and the women were down there, like you know, doing whatever they're supposed to do, and yeah. and being wild eyed. You know, have you ever seen that from the sixties at Modern Utopian magazine? It was a. Uh... I don't know. I don't think it's, I, I look at a lot of that kind of stuff. There's 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 a lot of um, interesting because the thing about the hippies, which are kind of interesting, is they, they you know they they they're so demonized by the by the uh, throughout all the Reagan years. There's a bunch of like they made all those stoner movies and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's like sort of like you know this is like I mean to me growing up in New York. I mean I was in the hippie age group, so. You know, but every all the smart guys, all the smart kids in high school, you know, the the cool kids, they were all beatniks. Uh. Different thing than being a hippie, right? Mm. For reasons that I'm not going to go into now. But I mean, the thing is, that, like, you know, it's like you want to sit at the place, you know, and with the black stockings on and like smoke the cigar, smoke the cigarette, you know, like <laughs> at the coffee shop while these, you know, these horrible. Beat poets like Jack Kerouac, you know, <laughs> do their thing. So I mean, like, oh, we weren't into that at all. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, we wanted to party. We wanted to get out. It was like sort of like um, we just like wanted to change the world. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't want to room and we felt it was very much inclusive in the sense that like, oh yeah, hey brother, you know, of all kinds of people, you know, and that's what the naivete was one of the reasons why it didn't work. But um. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why it didn't work. It was never going to work. But the thing is, it did open a lot of people's minds to like the kind of material we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was really the the so-called occult. That was way off at the end of the library, you know. Yeah, there was a couple books by Colin Wilson, and that was it. <laughs> and then you know, Madame people like Madame Blavatsky, who to me is a very underrated figure in American history. Madame Blavatsky, do you know much about her? Uh, just she that. Found, she yeah. Founded theosophy. theosophy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the very she, basics, but I don't really think I understand 
how she was influential in America. She she brought that European kind of spiritualistic, you know, hustle <laughs> to to America, and she was and her and was she was tied with this. She was kind of a contemporary with this guy George Gurdjieff, uh-huh. you know. And there was then this way that's where those weird because Americans were like they were big spiritualists. Um, you know, the, there was a, the Fox Sisters. You heard of them? Yeah. Up in well, those people that were, that were doing those seances and somebody, William Butler Yeats. This is all around the turn of the century. So then, Madame Lavatsky saw like, yeah, I mean, she was like the Maharishi before her time. She saw, wow, it's a lot of money over there. Let's go. <laughs> so, and then she started the Theosophy Society, which is still in business. Mm-hmm. They still meet every week. So. But it was like all the all the early flying saucer people, all of them were all, all theosophists. Are the um you know, you know, you're dropping all these references, and it's really like a alternative history of the United States. I mean, one of the problems with the previous the, the last election, which is going to turn out to be one of the psychological spectaculars of all time, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to be writing books about that for the next two hundred years. Oh, yeah. you know? Why this guy do this, and what was this all about? You know, is this really this is just the level of American fascism? Is it never going to get beyond here, or is it a first step? You know, yeah. like yeah. I mean, every liberal in the world is writing a book about this, and the conservatives are writing their version. So, so you know, it's just going to go on and on and on. But um, remind me where we were. Oh, I don't, I don't even remember. I um, I do have friends though who are like trying desperately to like convince people that that Trump is still a threat and that to take them that what they've been saying for the last four years or four months seriously and it's like you know yeah yeah um the far right is a problem it's always been a problem but I think well, they're gonna be they're gonna be a problem because they're not gonna be on the far right anymore Right, right. That's there. what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, if I was a pundit on some TV show, I might say, you know, when they ask me some dumb question, and I can say whatever I want to say, I would say, um, you know, how much, how much of those seventy-three million people that voted for Donald Trump are going to stay with the are willing to leave the democratic system? Mm-hmm. Many of them, you know, half. Are they, are they willing to leave the democratic system altogether and um, and kind of set up a shadow government of some kind of other, you know, way of running things mm-hmm. like monarchy or oligarchy or which seems to me to be the way it's going. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then and then they run in the party. They run in the uh, American elections the way it is in a lot of countries. I mean, they form the Trump party or whatever they want to call it. And they get. You know, they have the base of about 25 million people, you know, that, that are going to stick with them no matter what they say because they believe it. And remember, don't forget that Ross Perot got 19% of the vote. Yeah. This is doable. It is doable. You know, mm-hmm. it is not something I'm just talking about here because right. I'm afraid. It's doable. And Ross Perot, who even knows who he is now? If you mention him, people go, who? You know, but <laughs> he got 19% of the vote. That's the reason why Bill Clinton was elected, not George W. Bush, right? George H. W. Bush, and like so, these things that because people's people's memories and their willingness to actually remember any of this kind of stuff is so blunted 
because they can't even remember that, you know, there was a third party in this country that got one-fifth of the vote as recently as 30 years ago. So this, they keep on selling this bullshit about the uh, two-party system, like somehow it's going to keep the world together. I mean, two parties that are equally hated by everybody. Yeah. Obviously, that's the end of the game. So, you know, America is due for a, I think, for my personal prediction, is America is due for a personal, uh, a political shakeup that's going to take a while. Yeah. I mean, the paradigm, the paradigm shift on politics in this country is beginning to form, you know, that the little icebergs that are coming to make the big iceberg are coming together. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but this is not working. So it's not working for anybody. So yeah. that's <laughs> so, the one thing everybody can agree upon. It's not working. I mean, you know, like, so what? It lasts a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more than 200 years. Um, empires fall, you know, like, does the Roman Empire fell, right? <laughs> you know, the Ottoman Empire fell, <laughs> the Russian Empire fell. So why shouldn't the American Empire fall? You know, it just happens to be everybody's wringing their hands because it might be happening on their watch. You know, yeah. but um, you know that's that's it's a weird thing. Sure. Anyhow, you know, but but uh, so what do you think about? Because Koresh was also a music guy, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and um, yeah. You know, I, I you know I can't really figure out what was going on there. I mean, like, you know, I I said a little while ago that you know when when cults become or cult leaders become isolated, that's when they tend to you know flip out. But I mean, Koresh wasn't isolated at all. His band was playing in you know in dive bars, and you know he was going to town every day to get the mail from the mailbox and stuff. So. You know, I I feel like the the Janet Reno approved uh, official story of that one is just completely off the rails. It's totally off the rails. But see, already did you see did you see that TV series about it? Yeah. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it was definitely more um, sympathetic than I would have expected. I think it was. I mean, which is great. I got sympathy. What's I, thought that? It was too I thought it was too sympathetic. Yeah. And I'm a Dave Fresh fan, you know? Yeah. Because you know, I'm not, I'm a supporter of Well, you get the, no the, you get you had no sense that anything was going wrong there, which was you know, that like any children were being abused or you know, you got no sense of that at all. Just well, yeah, that's true. They just took that out, which was really kind of unfair because I mean that's a question. I mean, I agree with you. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I really did. I, mean, I was really pleasantly, not pleasantly, but I was surprised at how good it was. And I thought that the, that the guy that played David Koresh was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he he was great. I don't remember who's his name. But, um, you know, when they had this kind of thing, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, I, I, I didn't know if I went for that kind of romanticization of that, um, the FBI, the lead FBI guy. Oh the yeah, supposed, the, the the hostage guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I always think F- the FBI's are assholes. You know, they never, yeah. they never, have, they don't have any humanity. What's this deal? So, you know, but I liked it. <clears throat> There's a question about David Koresh that makes him a mass murderer. Really, <laughs> is that um, he kept those people in there when he knew that those people on the outside yeah. were maniacs and they would they could 
break loose at any one time and mm -hmm. do exactly what they did. And he kept those people in there so he could translate, you know, his little book of revelations translation. Like he was supposed to, it was going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And really that's the main factor in, in the, the right, the right wing interpretation of that incident always neglects to mention that. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I think is really, well, it's like, yeah, I'm willing to accept the government murdered those people. I'm that's the verdict, right? Mm. But it's not they didn't do it all by themselves. You know? No, no. It's like it's almost beside the point who lit the fuse if you look at the fact that Koresh had how many weeks to let his people go and knew and and he seemed he seemed to be absolutely certain that it was going to end how it ended. So Yeah, how what, what is the where is the what is the megalomania beam that enables you to keep those people locked in place when the handwriting is so mm -hmm. vibrantly on the wall about what's going to happen next? You know, mm -hmm. I don't get it. I mean, it's really crazy. I mean, what do you think? I mean, is it just sort of like a misplaced religious uh, zeal or what? I think it's uh I really think he was a uh, a small man, a small ego, or tr trying to feed his ego. Um, like that's like the one cult I'm familiar with is this one in Arizona I'm writing about, and mm. I see with this guy I see so many parallels with other cult leaders. Of really, it's a matter of ego. It's it's you know low self esteem, trying to trying to have some self esteem, and then you mm. you know the more screwed up you are, the, you the more you create these big tales and um and then when you invest in these ridiculous stories you have to put that much more energy into continuing to believe them because because it's ridiculous on the face his, his his thing is that he's picking up the Durantia book as the truth yeah yeah so he um yeah his whole his whole thing gabriel of Urantia, is that um he was <laughs> he was he was picked up by his dead grandmother aboard a UFO and they told him that, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. I love these stories. I mean, I, just, I never could get enough of them. Yeah. He was like, he was like visiting Guyanus, Mexico. I think the place was, and his grandmother, dead grandmother came around and picked him up. And, um, he started talking to these like discarnate entities who told him that, um, Yeah typical world's ending and um you gotta the world has to get right with god but his spin on it is that after the world ends he's gonna come back and he's going to be like in charge of the world and all his followers that live in his compound now are going to be like the leader of different cities or countries <laughs> around the world so like be the, get the cabinet position exa right, exactly so they're like um First. <laughs> you know so they're in training right now and in, in uh they're called the uh what are they called the uh the vanguard or something destiny reservists the global reserve of destiny or something and like and they're they're waiting to take over and run the planet but um as a divine administration but like all they're doing is like like weeding the bean fields and <laughs> You know, and like building, yes. you know, yes. just ridiculous yes. manual labor yes. and shit. So, I mean, the, the thing that's kind of fascinating. I mean, this stuff is just so great. I mean, 
<laughs> and it's so similar to uh-huh. it's always so similar. Yeah. yeah. And then and then like the thing with Gabriel that's like while they're doing this, he's starting all these like for profit companies. So like they started a, a hemp farm and like just sold a bunch of hemp for like you know, I can't remember how many millions of dollars, but you know, it's all these like poor suckers that are working for free. Volunteers. I mean, like man, that that documentary about the Bogwan was off the hook, man, wasn't it? Yeah, that was spectacular. I thought. I mean, that was just really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, it it seemed like a great work of art to me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah I, just, I, that was wonderful. Just sumptuous, looked great, everything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, what did he have a Rolls Royce for every day of the week or something? I don't know. It was just the just the way they did that talking head thing mm-hmm. that they see in every single documentary mm-hmm. just worked better. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it was really well done. And then, like, I also thought that the archival stuff was great. You know, it wasn't like sometimes you do a documentary like this and you get stuck with like the same five minutes worth of footage and you got to figure out how to stretch it out for four hours. But you know, <laughs> like this, it was like they had, they must've had a lot to work with. And yeah, I just thought the whole thing they was really her. well done. They had her, they had yeah. Sheila. Sheila. Once you had her, you had the, that, you were, you were good. Mm-hmm. Cause once you find out that Sheila's going to be in it, if you're some of those other people, you gotta be in it. Yeah. That's you right. Got no choice. You gotta be in it. So, I was like, hats off, man. It's hard to do that kind of stuff. Hell yeah. So Sure is. Definitely. I well, you know personally, right? What? So, um, you know, you know, from your own experience, it's hard to do that, you know? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's funny. Like now that I'm writing this book, all the people I've been talking to for years about this cult have all clammed up and, um, it's like well, I guess maybe they didn't like the uh, reaction to the. Uh, well, thing. you know, they all have said good things about the podcast. I think they, I think they get burned out. I think they've been, you know, they're like, not only did we have to live with this maniac, but now we got to tell this other maniac in Pittsburgh, you know, our whole life story, and it's just never ending. And what's in it for me? I, I, I completely understand that. But That's it's, true, but no, you don't really need them. You don't need to have every single one of them. No, just no. get the, you know, a couple of them, you know, that tell you the best stories. Yeah, yeah. There's like a Probably. couple loose ends I'd like to tie up, but I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm ready for it to be over. I, I can believe it. I mean, those kind of stories wipe you out. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's just the cult. The cult world. I mean, I wonder if there's going to be. Um, you know, they, you see one every once in a while, uh, you know, with the Nexium thing and all that. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. So I get Believe it, it or not. With, <laughs> I get it mixed up with the heartburn medicine. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, they're not, they're not that many anymore. It doesn't seem like it's possible, but I, the, um, I do believe in this idea of the crisis cult as being, you know, the, the, the motivation of some of the yeah both both left and right wing things that that have been happening over the past six months especially I mean it's ramped up and it's going to get it's not going to be over because no. once the vaccine comes out then you then you're pouring in a whole other conspiracy trend you know yep yep so yeah this is going to be you got 
Matt, you're almost asking. It's almost it's not quite a perfect storm yet, but it could be. You know, so you don't even need Trump. You got all the people. You know, he's the sainted guy who's like you know, riding off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. You know, so revere him. Like you know, if you can imagine such a thing. <laughs> so like, uh, I mean, it's so queer. The whole thing is just so weird, man. That like you know, you, you could see it happening. You could see some society because there's a lot of people that don't want to be part of the United States anymore. They just don't want to. They don't want to. They're, they're sick of it. You know, it's like you're sick of these guys. They're sick of us. Yeah, <laughs> so, we're sick of each other. <laughs> you know, it's... I'm sick of them. You know, That's, that could be it. You know, it just seems like there's been such an injection of weirdness into American culture. Like, I just. And, and you know, and I, I think American culture is kind of, you know, the other day there's this big thing on the news because, like, some, like, diner in Pittsburgh called the Cracked Egg was it, like, refused. I saw this, actually. Saw <laughs> yeah, this. like, they refused to close because the the mask mandate or whatever, and then they announced that they were hosting a Toys for Tots drive with the proud boys or something and i just thought (laughs) i thought like in what world do all these things all you know join together i don't know i mean i was i just think it's you know could just peter out you know yeah probably will but you know it's interesting to see these because i really think that one thing that everybody can agree on is that the world is a changing place at the moment. It's changing slightly faster than it usually changes because most people don't notice it. Everything is changing around them. But this, for, for reasons, one reason or another, probably the technocide, you know, the the internet and all the all the tech stuff. I mean, people are no, people are noticing the world seems to be changing faster, which it, maybe it is. I don't know. But um, the uh, and during that kind of thing, people's rhythms are off. So they tend that's also tends to magical thinking, you know. I mean, if you convince everybody that somehow this isn't normal, you know, like after nine eleven, nothing will be the same, you know. <laughs> and it wasn't, right? <laughs> you know, it wasn't the same. They were right about that. I mean, but only in the certain sectors that were beneficial for the people that were in charge. Mm-hmm. After that, things stayed the same, you know. Yeah. So, you know, but uh you know, it's just an interesting period of time, I think. Very interesting. And to do it through, um, you know, harebrained rumors is really kind of an interesting idea. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you know, um, I mean, I, I look at the, long, the long-term the long thing. But actually, wait, wait one second. got to get my power source. Oh, okay. Hang on. I'll be right back. Anyhow, I do have another uh, musical cult leader for you. Who's that? Um, Malachi Z. York. Malachi Z. York. Is that a, one of the... Uh... He's the leader of the Nubian nation. Yeah. <laughs> the black Israelites. Yeah, yeah. He used to be Dwight York, and he had a disco hit called with a group called The Passions. Oh. Look it up. <laughs> he actually, it actually made chart it, you know? <laughs> so... He's he's currently in Florence, where he's serving uh, the obligatory 135 years for the obligatory child molesting, child molesting charge. Oh wow! And uh, he's a fascinating figure, man. Yeah, reading about him on 
Oh yeah, the 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 moors, the the new Wabian moors or whatever. There there are many different. I mean, if you get into this stuff. You know, oh yeah. If you want to write a book about cults, the black cults. Yeah. Are, are just fantastic, man. I mean, the and the one all those ones that are based around that that nexus of Elijah Muhammad. Mm-hmm. There are many, many, many. And they're, they're, some of them are really out there. So you got to know a few of these uh, black groups or rappers or whatever when you were working on your Cooper book, right? Yeah, I became friendly with Prodigy. Then he died. Oh, wow. He was the most articulate of all those guys by far. And uh, Buster Rhymes, I mean, you know, he barely could talk. And, um, you know, but... Uh, yeah, but Prodigy was mostly my main my main guy. And then I talked to the, there's a bunch of white rappers that are into Cooper, you know, including William Cooper. Yeah, <laughs> William Cooper himself, the uh, the new William Cooper. The new William Cooper, yeah. He's a little, he's a very nice guy. I got very friendly with him. We did a video together. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can, if you look at my Instagram page and you click on the li- on the link on the Pale Horse Rider book page. Uh huh. Also, that's another thing. Make sure you check my my instagram pale horse rider book oh yeah definitely we'll link to it in the show notes so click if you click on that you'll see this like four minute video that we cut to try to promote it was the only video ever made to promote a book (laughs) only hip-hop video ever made to promote a book you know i hear about your book your william cooper book all the time like people are always constantly discovering it really they must look really hard because i'm gonna war with the publisher oh really yeah because they kept on delaying the paperback and then they finally got around to telling me that they're that they're not gonna do it right because of the covid and all this kind of stuff and so i you know legitimately hit the ceiling and they gave me back the rights to it oh really i own the rights to the book it just came through not long ago this is a big scoop for you pale horse rider fans out there um (laughs) So, um, but I'm I'm gonna resell it because I own it. They gave it back to me because I made such a big stink about it. You know, that's great. I don't. I mean, I don't know where. I mean, I'm willing to get it published. Almost. I mean, if anybody out there, if you know anybody that has a small publishing company, you know, I'm willing to get it published by almost anybody. Do you have Tim Beckley on your show? Well, Tim Beckley is one of the more interesting. Uh, 60s characters you'll ever run into published uh, I mean hundreds and hundreds of UFO books and we actually met Bill Cooper he's one of the few people outside of people who were his family and stuff like that that actually had met the guy and he said he was really strange (laughs) (laughs) you'd think you'd have to be a little strange well I mean this guy you know yeah it's totally strange. I mean, he was he was kind of I I do I did consider him a great American, as I've said many times before. Right? Mm-hmm. Was, I mean, I would consider him a great American before I consider Bob Dylan a great American. Really? Yeah, because Bob Dylan is, and I love Bob Dylan. You know, he's my guy. But he's a great American artist. That's who he is. But William Cooper is a great American because he like kind of subsumed the country for a moment. He, he actually held. The, the fate of the world in his hands, you know, dementedly enough, because because he 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 was in the Vietnam War, he um, 
grew up on this kind of outside world, you know, and very estranged with his family and was a wife beater and he couldn't, he had, he had the devil inside him. He couldn't figure it out. He'd never figure out like why he did the things he did, which is, you know, a classic kind of person. Like, you know, I'm, I got to find the truth, whatever it is, you know, so I can stop being like this. And then, um, so then when he got the radio show, you know, he really spelled it all out. I mean, the book is more famous than the radio show, but the radio show really shows you the Bill Cooper personality, you know, that kind of feeling. And then the way he set up his murder, you know, <laughs> it's kind of incredible. Yeah, it really is. I, uh, I mean, just from the fact that, you know, me and you and all these people that I know who they're still not just still talking about him, but still listening to the radio shows and stuff. Well, one of the things, he's a great guy on the radio. He's great. Yeah. Yeah, Cooper's, he just had this the, the crazy idea about the driver shooting the president. You know? I mean, and then, and somehow the driver was hooked up with the aliens. And, you know? I mean, it was, it was like really kind of like, you know, data-esque. Yeah, it <laughs> wasn't know? like a shellfish toxin bullet or something. Yeah, but I mean, these kind of it takes up time. I mean, there's good, there's good conspiracy and there's bad conspiracy, right? Yeah. Uh, there's Bill Cooper had a certain kind of knack for coming up with this stuff. Plus, you know, that prediction of the of the 2001 thing is really pretty amazing. He says said that something big is going to happen in this country, and it's going to be blamed on Osama bin Laden. Which, to analyze that comment, it's not that he's predicting anything's going to happen. It could be that nothing's going to happen. But whatever does happen, it's going to be blamed on Osama bin Laden, which is the conspiratorial mi mindset, because you know, you already know who did it. Mm -hmm. You're sitting there, like Sherlock Holmes, wondering who did it, right? You already know who did it, you know? You just have to find out who the mystery is, who they're going to blame it on. Right. <laughs> What, what false flag or, you know, that's that's where the money is, blame, figuring out who they're going to blame, you know, the, they're going to blame it on. So Bill Cooper, he, he just had a, he was a natural, you know, a natural. <laughs> Truly, you know, an artist of uh, conspiracy. He was, I mean, he was, he was a failed human being, but a, an artist of conspiracy. <laughs> So that is it for the latest episode of Failed State Update. Be sure to check out my website, LennyFlatley.net. You can uh, not only see my books and my articles, uh, you can check out my podcast, The So-Called Prophet from Pittsburgh, a eight-part investigation into a UFO cult. The leader is from Pittsburgh. They're currently residing somewhere in the high desert of southern Arizona, waiting for the return of God, or at least the end of COVID-19. I also have a book coming out, an, another book, uh, the first one to be published by somebody other than yours truly, New Age Grifter, the true story of Gabriel of Urantia and his cosmic family, is a investigative deep dive into that cult I just mentioned, go into a lot of good stuff that I couldn't get into in the podcast and kind of bring the story up to date a bit. 
so be sure to pre-order that either on bookshop.org or amazon.com. And of course, as always, all the links are in my show notes or, you know, on my website, lennyflatley.net. All of a sudden, in the middle of night, there's a loud knock on your door. Hey, honey, something's not right. Throw out your hands. Clinton's dead while passed through. We're here from the government. We're here to help you. And I'm from the IRS with a power to tax. If you've got a complaint, <laughs> send us a fax. Get out of this house. Surrender your guns. Give me your gold. You better obey if you want to come home. Dance the good stuff and do what you're told. Chaos, depression, inflation, create the panic, then rape the nation. Crisis creation. Incite black and white. Program agitation. Don't resist. You're surrounded by the UN in white and blue. The ATF, the men in black, of the one world order. But it's not new. Iron Mountain, Computer Beast, and Cattle Mutilations. Black Projects, UFOs, and Weird Genetic Combinations. The Nazi doctors didn't die. Come on, get hip. They came here with the OSS through Operation Paperclip. National ID, debit card? Yeah. Vaccination biochip, milk carton kits, genetic engineering. Clinton says her health plans for you and your own good. Sure. And Adolf Hitler's Robin Hood. Masonic mind manipulation. Inciting riots, it's crisis creation. Biochip implantation. Vaccinate your kid for UN identification. This is a test for all of us. So I have today just one simple request. A comprehensive package of health care benefits that are always there and can never be taken away. Never be taken away. Atmospheric social illusion. Media hype. Planned confusion. Masonic religion. It's a liar. Got you praying for a Luciferian Messiah. Illuminati thinks that they're enlightened, that they're to be the gods of Earth, born of incest from the sons of Satan and their sisters in satanic birth. Hidden agenda, Kissinger, Nixon, Ford, and Bill, while your kids out back smoking crack for some cheap thrill. They've numbed us down and dumbed us down with fluoride TV drugs, the NEA, and public schools. 
They've taken your brightest and our best and made him public fools. With managed media, brain-bending lies and stealth, the banksters stole your wealth. Johnson, Bush, Carter, Reagan, Gore, and Dan, they've all been pushing pipes, Masonic master plan. Rhodes Scholar Oration, Clinton speaks, then rapes the nation. Luciferian subjugation, New World Order, Illuminati coronation, mass media grand ovation, orders of the quest, think they're superior, they think that they're the best. And you're inferior, you little pest. Skull and Bones, Scroll and Key, Knights Templar, Harvard University. They're the Faustian Fraternity. Knights of the Golden Circle, Ancient Order of the Rosen Cross, CFR Albatross. In both parties, <laughs> Rockefeller's boss. MK Ultra, ISA from the OSS to the CIA. Mass murder is the game they play. Galileo, NASA, Jupiter, Plutonium 2000, Dual Sun. They'll call it Lucifer for fun. Pyramid Giza, Hitler called it the Luciferian Millennium. A thousand points of light. Love of Rome, Thunderdome, Isis, Horus, Lucifer's Trust. If the UN lives, y'all go bust. Wake up stupid and read the scoop. Mullen, Sutton, Griffin, and tune in to Coop. Bohemian Grove, Beverly Hall, Lord Betraya, they want it all. <laughs> yeah, they want it all. Kissinger, Ginrich, Army, Buckley, Dole, New World Order, Authoritarian Control. 